Welcome this morning. Well, that was great. Look at the musicians and worship there. That was fantastic. Come on, let's give them a clap and thank them. Thank you. Wow. I want to welcome those online, watching online from Australia and America and London and various other parts around the world, Germany. And uh, God bless you. Great to have you with us here. And uh, everyone else who braved the cold came out. Good on you. Well done. And uh, hey, it was wonderful to see people getting saved. I encourage you to keep praying, keep believing. And when we have an altar call for salvation, there is a war goes on for the hearts of people. That's a time to pray. Quietly pray, press in God, touch this person's life. Because I remember when I was in a meeting, I remember holding onto the seat so I wouldn't leave the seat and go up the front. There was a wrestling going on for my soul. That was a stupid thing to hold onto the seat. I should have just responded to God, but I wasn't in my right mind. And so when, when people are, uh, are having a call of the Holy Ghost to come, there's a war goes on inside. So just be aware of that. And uh, there may be a silence and no response. That's okay. There's a war going on. Someone somewhere is holding the seat. <laughs> so you pray that their fingers will let go. And the head will clear. It's a very big thing. You know, you get used to it in church. But it's a very big thing to, to put your hand up in the middle of a crowd. Very big thing to stand up and make your way to the front. You know, people say, what will happen to me? What's going to, you know. And sometimes if people find themselves up there, they don't know how they got there. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I was holding onto the seat, then I was up the front. How did it happen? And that's because people were praying. Okay, well, welcome. Okay, open your Bibles with me. I want to go into Matthew chapter 24. And uh, we're looking at a, a series, three messages called uh, The Signs of the End Times. We've done part one and two. And uh, I want to do the third one, try and complete it this time around. So in order to try and complete it this time around, I'll, I'll go through the 12 signs. And then I'll pick on one and just talk on one then. So anyway, let's go into Matthew chapter 24. And uh, we read in verse, uh, verse 3. Uh, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. So he's been in the temple. They've seen how great the temple is, the massive big walls. And, and it was a, just an amazing construction. And the, the disciples are impressed by that. And uh, Jesus said, oh, don't be impressed, guys. That's all going to fall down. Everything will be torn down. There won't be one stone left upon a stone. It's all going to go down. And they were astonished. So when they got with him quietly, they said, well, Tell us what will be the sign that this is about to happen, and then tell us what is the sign of the end times when you will come. Two questions. So as you read through Matthew 24, Jesus answers the two questions. He doesn't answer them quite in the order they asked, but he spreads it out over Matthew 24 and carries on into Matthew 25. So if you've got a Bible there and you're following, Matthew 24 and 25 are all one series of teachings. So all the parables and all the things in Matthew 25 all relate back to the simple question, what will be the signs of the end of your coming? So he talks in parables, then at the end time, then will the kingdom be like this? Then will the kingdom be like five, the virgins, five, five, five foolish? Then will the kingdom be like the servants? So he's trying to get you to understand and have an, uh, an insight to the end times, what it'll be like. And so uh, we've already shared a little bit about that. And uh, what uh, we found was that uh, Jesus three times warned them about deception. Three times. What that means is you'll think you're right and you're wrong. What it means is you'll be listening to things that are wrong but think they're right. So three times. If he warns you three times, you really want to, make, really want to listen. So I find when you look at a passage, see if anything's repeated. So in the context 
of his second coming and the turmoil in the end times in the world, he says, you need to be careful you're not deceived. And I'll share with you perhaps in another message if I get time, is how to prepare yourself at the end times, the kinds of things you need to do. And of course, the primary one is to become grounded in truth, in the Bible truth. If you're not grounded in Bible truth, you won't know where you stand, what you believe. You'll be carried with every wind of doctrine. Okay, then. So the second thing he repeatedly said, and uh, he repeatedly said these two things are different words, but they really refer to the same thing. One of them he said, uh, prepare or be ready, those who are ready. So he tells us to be ready, tells us to watch and pray. And that's mentioned four times altogether. So three times he said, listen, there's going to be some tough times in the end times. It'll be difficult. There'll be a lot of funny ideas going around and people will be drawn away. And he said, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you personally prepare yourself and that you're a place of prayer and a spiritual uh, sensitivity and awakeness. In other words, you want to wake up. Okay, so now we're going to go through, and I want to just list for you now the, the signs. I've already done six of them. I want to list the remaining six so you've just got them in front of you. <clears throat> and I'll pick up one and just work with the one. So uh, Jesus responded to their question regarding to the signs of times. And the first sign was widespread upheaval, wars and natural disasters across the world. Verse 6 and 7. The second sign was widespread persecution of Christians. He said, verse 9, you'll be persecuted, hated of all men. There'll be resistance to Christ, resistance to the Word of God. Third thing he said would be widespread offenses. Verse 10, many shall be offended and betray one another. So he said one of the last, one of the signs of the end times is how easily people are offended. Then he said, uh, the fourth sign he gave was, there'll be many false prophets. There'll be people coming who present themselves as Christians carrying a word for the season or a word from God, but they're not. Actually, what they're doing is they have an agenda to enrich themselves and they exploit God's people for their own ends. And uh, by the fruit, you know them. And uh, then he goes on, he talks about widespread lawlessness. Lawless means, means uh, literally a disregard for law and order, a disregard for authority, and it would be widespread across the globe in the end times. And uh, he says there's a consequence of that in verse 12, love of many would grow cold. That love is the love for God, a passion for God, and a, and a selfless love that serves people with no agendas. And uh, he says that's what will get cold. People become very self-centered. And uh, then the sixth sign he gave was uh, widespread corruption and violence. Uh, verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It'll be, there'll, be, there'll be situations in the earth like the days of Noah. So I just want to go over and just list the remainder, and I'll pick up one and talk some more about it. Okay then, so the seventh sign. What's the seventh sign he gave? And it's not found in Matthew 24. It's found in Luke 17 and verse 28. And it says the seventh sign is as it was in the days of Lot so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, Luke 17, verse 28, As in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, destroyed them all. Even so, it'll be like that in the day the Son of Man is revealed. So the primary thing he's saying here, as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah, he's saying the coming of the Lord will be unexpected. They just caught them all by surprise. They thought everything's going on like normal, and they're caught out by surprise. Now, I'm going to go into this, the, the details about that uh, in, in uh, more, but I just want to just at this point highlight that the, the key issue is that the coming of the Son of Man will catch many people unaware. 
they will just think the world's carrying on like normal, and in fact, it's about to go to a cataclysmic change. And so we are to be ready. We're to prepare you to live your life like this, as if the Lord is coming today and to live ready and plan your life like he's not coming in my lifetime. I need to prepare and plan and set out my whole life course and invest in the next generation and invest and build and so on. See? Okay then. So here's the next thing, uh, a next sign that's mentioned there. And it's found also in Luke 21 and 20, verse 29, also in Matthew 24. And he says, the eighth sign is the fig tree and all the trees. So I'll read it out in Luke 21, 29. He spoke to them a parable, look at the fig tree and look at all the trees. Now, of course, we live in, a, in an area which is very seasonal, so look at the fruit trees. If you see the blossoms, you know what season is it? It's very clear. You look out there, and, and in fact, later on in the year, we look out there, oh, there it is, all color. Almost in one week, suddenly, well, there's blossoms everywhere. You all know fruit's coming. Spring is on the way. There'll be, sh- there'll be little lambs everywhere. We know something is about to change. We've left a season, we're entering another. In other words, there was just one single sign, and it tells you everything. We're in change. And uh, then you, you, so these are the way. So he said, now here's, here's the sign. It's about the fig tree and all the trees. So the fig tree re- refers to the nation of Israel. Israel constantly referred to as a fig tree or as a vine. Uh, so what does it mean then all the other trees means all the other nations. So he said, have a look at the fig tree. Have a look at Israel. Israel is a key figure nation. Watch what's going on there. It reflects what's going to be happening spiritually. And secondly, uh, he says, look at all the other trees. So uh, he says, this when you when they're already budding you know for yourself summer is near so see when you see these things happening know the kingdom of God is near this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place and he says heaven and earth will pass away my words will never pass away Jesus' words has got stability in them. So, so what happens is, is we read in 1914, they begin to section off an area called Palestine, and uh, it became a place where Jews started to uh, travel. The Jews, uh, here's the interesting thing, that when the Jews were dispersed in, uh, in AD 70, they dispersed to all the nations of the earth. There was no place called Israel, and the people were dispersed. There is never in history, ever, 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 recorded any people that were dispersed into the globe and lost their land that survived as a culture and as a language and came back together and found their piece of land again. It just has never happened before. It's impossible. It can never happen. And yet it happened to Israel. And it it follows the promise in the Bible, I will scatter you to the nations and then I will show mercy and I'll regather you again. And so we see an amazing fulfillment in 1948 when Israel, we came together as a nation. That is the fig tree budding. That's the sign. Summer is near. So it says when you see whatever was happening in, in Israel is a sign. So in 1967, they took control of Jerusalem. Who would have ever thought 200 years ago, if you had said, oh, Israel will come back together, it's just impossible. And then suddenly, within our lifetime, it's come back as a nation, and it's now got established in, uh, in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's been acknowledged as the capital. So, so you notice then, what's happening with Jerusalem, what's happening with Israel, is a rising tide to, to their identity as a nation. But that's happening all around the world. People are saying, hey, listen, we want to hold our identity as a nation. We want, to, we want to hold to who we are. And so the issue of who we are as a nation, as you've got ethnic groups now who have been displaced saying, wait a minute, this is not right. We want our, our nation back. 
So, so all of those, that's happening all over the world. And so that all tells you, it's just another sign of the season. This tells you that nations are now looking to uh, start to build their own identity, have their own culture, their own language, start to establish themselves. And it's a messy thing. It's very messy. Look at what's going on around the countries of the world. It's very messy. Being a reaction to colonialism, being a reaction to all kinds of things, and people are trying to find their identity and stand up. It's a global phenomenon. And uh, then the ninth sign is not found here. It's found in the writings of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 2, and 3. And he says, in the last days, perilous or incredibly dangerous times will come. And then he lists a whole lot of signs. Now, I don't want to give it all and explain it all. You can look it up for yourselves. But he says, he says this is what the cultural condition will be. And he says, it's perilous. It's fierce. It's difficult. It's hard to handle. It drains away your energy. And this is what he says to be like. People, this is what will be the widespread cultural condition. Narcissistic people. Self-obsessed people. He said people will be lovers of themselves. They'll be self-centered. It's all about me. Well, does that sound familiar? All about me. They'll be lovers of money. In other words, greed will take over. Exploitation of people. Uh, they'll be boasters, empty pretenders, proud, appearing better than others, uh, abusive, disobedient to parents. Uh, unthankful or ungrateful, meaning entitled, abusive. These are the characteristics here, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. That word there, unloving, means literally to be void of, devoid of natural family bonds. In other words, no natural family love. Families full of lack of a love for one another. And uh, he says they will be unforgiving. They'll, they'll, they'll be truce breakers, unwilling to enter the covenant, or literally, uh, another way of putting it, they'll, they'll, they're unwilling to commit into covenantal relationship like marriage. That's amazing, isn't it, eh? So they, they will be uh, unforgiving. Uh, they'll be slanderers. They gossip. No self-control. Savage, cruel. Despisers of, of good and despisers of those that are, that are good. Uh, despisers, traitors or treacherous, betraying one another. Uh, headstrong or rash, arrogant, lovers of uh, pleasure rather than lovers of God, having, and here it is in the, in, the, in the religious area, having a form of godliness but resisting or denying the power. So in other words, a church which is lukewarm without the power of God but proclaiming itself to be uh, the, ch the true church. So that's, that's, that's one of the signs, one of the signs. You recognize any of it? And then the tenth sign is uh, Jesus spoke in Luke and in Matthew and uh, Luke 21, 25. He talks about cosmic upheaval and global fear. And he said there'd be signs in the heavens and uh, signs in the sun, the moon and the stars, the earth, distress of the nations, perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of things coming on the earth for there will be a shaking of the powers of heaven. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in glory. So what he's saying is that across the globe there'd be widespread fear because of global catastrophe, things that are happening, possibly a reaction to a shift where the devil is cast out of the realm of the second heaven, and then you start to see much widespread demonic manifestations in the earth, including disruption of natural conditions. And I don't think we've seen all this yet, but it'll be global fear because it's so unpredictable. And if you have a look now, you look what the movies are, have a look at what the movies are all doing. I mean, the movies, just, you can all just react to movies, but actually movies are like a, a sign. They, they tell a story. And you have a look, what you, have a look at the last, the last decade. How many movies of the earth coming through catastrophe? 
and the rock comes and saves them. Wow. <laughs> saves Los Angeles, or saves the people. They got all those sort of stories. Near misses of asteroids, earthquakes, tidal waves, all kinds. Of, oh, and these movies have been coming out for the last decade or so. But they're all to just, they, they all carry a message of global catastrophe, widespread fear and chaos, everything breaking down. So you can look, it's just entertainment, or it's just a little, hey, guys, things are happening. Things are about to happen. Okay, and then, uh, and of course, the other thing in the movies, which is an interesting thing, because Hollywood often, its, it's gift is to be creative, but it's been distorted, so it's often polluted. But you see, notice the interest in superheroes. Superheroes become the latest big thing. So if you just look past all the things, you say, oh, they love them. I've taken my grandkids them. I love them. Superheroes. <laughs> or you can hate them. What junk. Never go to that stuff. See, it's, a, it's just a matter of personal opinion. But I look and I think it's an all a signal for what God is planning to do when the sons of God are manifest in the earth. Oh, how exciting. Oh, my. I can't go there today. It's another time. So... So here's an 11th sign. An 11th sign is found in the book of Daniel. Daniel 12, verse 4. And you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. In other words, he's saying, close the book because what I've revealed to you won't be understood by anyone until the very end. Then suddenly, oh, that's what it means. And he says, in that time, and it tells what will happen in the end times, many shall run to and fro. In other words, travel will be incredibly widespread. Many running to and fro all over the earth. And he says, and knowledge shall increase. Knowledge shall increase. Now, if you have a look, if you just go online, you can find all these facts. Yeah, a lot of these things, you can just check up yourself. Just go Google them. They're all there. Rumors of war and wars and how many people have been killed. You can look it all up and find for yourself what's going on. But, but if you look at the, uh, I, I just typed in, well, what's the, what's, the, what's the story about the increase in knowledge? How's it been going? I didn't know this. This is a bit of a shock. 1900, in 1900, knowledge doubled every 100 years. Okay. Every hundred years, the amount of knowledge, global knowledge, increased, doubled. But by 1945, it doubled every 25 years. So 45, 55, 65, 70, somewhere around about there, the knowledge has doubled in just 25 years. In the 1980, it's doubling now because of computers every 13 months. And then IBM, this is what IBM says, that they're saying that in 2020, they predict every 12 years, 12 hours, knowledge will double. Wow. It's just like, whoa, wait a minute, didn't I read that in Daniel somewhere? Oh my, how interesting. Well, of course, that means, of course, if knowledge is doubling, you can't keep up with it. You've got to learn how to live in a world where knowledge is changing, got to build something different inside you, okay? So there you go. And then the last sign, the best one of all, is that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached globally. And, and Matthew 24, 40, this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached globally with signs and miracles and wonders. There'll be a massive end time harvest. It's going to be an amazing time. That's why you'll find increasingly globally there'll be an emphasis on the kingdom of God, preaching of the kingdom of God. Churches have not taught enough on the kingdom of God. They teach on this and this and this and this. Jesus' whole message was repent. The kingdom is at hand. The glory of God's kingdom, his rule, his dominion over nature, his, 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 the culture, the values, his whole beginning major speech, the Sermon on the Mount is out, the culture of heaven, what it looks like, how, when heaven is on earth, how people live. 
How awesome is that? So those are the, those are the signs. So that's, that's a, all of these are something we could speak on, but we're just going to pick today on one. And I want to go back up to the seventh sign, which is the sign as it was in the days of Lot. So we'll read in, uh, again in Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate and drank and bought and sold and planted and built until the day Lot went out of Sodom and then it rained fire. Well, I've never seen it raining fire before, but then Noah, no one's seen it raining rain either. See, they hadn't seen it. It was something different. So we've got to understand that in the last days, there'll be things we've never seen before. That's what he's trying to say. The things they haven't seen. And then it says, and, the, and they, the day he left, it rained fire and brimstone, destroyed them all. So it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, Lot dwelt in the city of Sodom, and he was troubled all the time by what he saw. Uh, it's quite interesting to watch his journey, how he starts off. Now, I don't want to sidetrack, but let me just tell you how he starts off. He starts off walking with a man of faith, Abraham. He's his nephew. And then because he's walking with a man of faith who's in the anointing and purpose of God, he prospers. And when he prospers, he forgets to be grateful and honor where his source is. And so he ends up competing with Abraham. And Abraham, being very gracious. Now, when you're you're connected to God and God is your source, you can be gracious. You don't have to fight over stuff. Because God can get you more. See? So, so he didn't fight. He said, listen, let me, we want peace between us. You choose whatever you want to do. Now, Abraham, every right to say, listen, I'm in charge here. This is my mission journey. I get the best peace. He said, no, you choose whatever you want. And he looked down. Oh, that land looks nice and flat. Oh, there's some nice cities there as well. I'll choose that bit. So, so you notice now what's happened is a progression of change from where he dishonors the source, starts to compete and promote himself, then we find him camping outside the city. It's just nice to be outside the city. Then he's in the city, living in the city, and then later on he's in the gates of the city, meaning he's now in a place of leadership and influence in the city. He's been submerged in the city, submerged in the culture, so identified, and in his heart he's troubled by everything's going on. It really vexes his soul, the Bible says. It troubles him. And then when you follow the story, you find he loses everything. He literally loses everything. His character was eroded. He ended up, he lost his wife. He lost all his resources. He lost his other children, their wives, their grandchildren. Everything was taken away. Everything was lost, destroyed. And the two daughters he had, they got him drunk and he ended up sleeping with them, had incest with them. And then the two descendant tribes from them, Moabites and Ammonites, were uh, incredibly sexually perverse idolaters who resisted God's work all through history. Now, so you see how he left it was a little thing at the beginning, but it became a big thing at the end. When you make your decisions, they may be little at the beginning, but they can have major consequences at the end. You've got to watch then and see that the decisions you're making are aligned with the Word of God. Now, when we think of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, you're going to think straight away of homosexuality. And we're going to talk about that. I'll talk straight about that in a moment. But the Bible identifies what the real sin is. And it's very, very, very frequently among Christians that we judge and condemn people. And then we uh, show a very deep blind spot to our own issues. But we love to pick on something that we can hammer. And so I want to show you what the real issue was. Then you can see the perspective to it. So Ezekiel describes what the root sins of the city of Sodom were. Ezekiel 16, 49. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. So he's talking to the church. (laughs) Talking to the church, saying that city Sodom, it's your sister. You're in the same family. 
What he's trying to do is he's trying to rebuke the church for its condition. So then he says, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did they strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Now, of course, the word abomination refers to homosexuality. But notice it's not even named. It's just called abomination. It's all the other things God identifies that lead to that. And so you notice what it says there, the condition of it, there was haughtiness and, uh, and pride. So the core thing that God identifies is the heart condition, because always the fruit in our life springs from the heart. So if you look at the fruit and get all strong on the fruit, you're missing the whole thing. You can't change it by attacking the fruit. You've got to deal with the heart. And the issue with the heart was pride and haughtiness. What does that mean? Pride is to elevate yourself. Haughtiness is to look down upon others and to despise others. And notice what he says, that firstly, it's the heart condition of pride rather than humility and gratitude. Second thing that it tells us is there was fullness of bread. In other words, they were prospering. They were doing well. They had no need of anything. Sounds like the church of Laodicea. And then here's the, here's the real bite. There was a neglect of justice. There was a neglect of the poor and the needy. Now, I'm not going to go too far into all of this, but I just want to catch what the problem that God has with the church in his day. He said, there's pride, there's arrogance, there's looking down and judging people. There's a satisfaction because you're doing well and a focus on your prosperity. And there's a lack of heart for those people that are suffering injustice, that are suffering because of poverty, that are suffering because they're needy. You are indifferent to the plight of those who are suffering because you're preoccupied with yourselves. Now, he's saying that's the condition of his people. And he said, the best picture I can tell you that that really equates to was Sodom before I destroyed it. And he's saying it's to do with the heart and the care for people. And then he says, of course, when the heart is full of pride and there's, a, 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 there's brokenness and there's woundings, homosexuality is a product of those things. Oh, got real quiet now. <laughs> See? Now, Lot was distressed what was going on. In, in 2 Peter 2 verse 7, it said, he, God rescued Lot, a righteous man. So he's a, he's, a, he's a believer. He's a righteous man, good man. And he was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. He was worn down. He was treated roughly. He was in exceeding anguish. In other words, he looked at the news every day and was really troubled by the things he saw going on in his own city. Some people are not even troubled by what goes on in their own city. Not even aware of what goes on there. He was troubled by it. Deep, he was in a distress inside because he's a good, righteous man, and he sees that what's happening is really wrong. What's he seeing happening? He's seeing proud, arrogant people who are full of prosperity and looking out for themselves and don't care for the poor. Oh, yeah, and he saw the homosexuality as well. It was really the outcome of the heart condition, and it was incredibly serious. Now, the Bible's very clear when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. You know, there's nothing complicated about it. It's, it violates God's order and God's design. It's really simple. So let me just read through a couple of scriptures just to relate it to it. In, Levi in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, do not have sexual relationships with a man as one does with a woman. 
that is an abomination or detestable. That detestable means idolatry, something really disgusting in God's eyes. So he's talking about a man having a sexual relationship with another man as he'd lie with a woman. And the word that's used to describe that in the dictionary is sodomy. The word sodomy, if you look it up in the dictionary, refers to sexual intercourse, one man with another, anal intercourse. It also refers to various forms of sexual perversion. So that's what it refers to. That's how the city, it, it, the name is given to that sin because it's identified with the city of Sodom. That's why they give it that name. Yet you would find, I found, I've, I've gone and counseled Christians and I found that's being practiced in marriages. So no, don't judge and look down on everyone else. Get your own heart right. We need to actually have a heart that's right before God. And so Jesus reveals very clearly in his teaching the issue of the conduct of course is disgusting and it's an abomination to God however he said the real problem is the heart condition that produces it now notice what he says look at this look at this in Matthew 11 verse 20 he said he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done why did he rebuke the cities because they wouldn't repent and then he, he talks about them Tyre and Sidon and then he talks and you Capernaum who are exalted to heaven, pride. And he says, will be brought down into the deepest parts of hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. It, I tell you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, a lot of Christians don't get that one. This is what Jesus is saying. Capernaum was where he was ministering. Capernaum was in Israel. Capernaum's what the, a city of God's people. And Jesus ministered there, preached the kingdom, did miracles, did amazing signs. But what was the problem in the city? The problem was religious pride and judgmentalism and unbelief. They rejected Jesus. They rejected his supernatural. They rejected the one God sent. And they did it because of pride it says you're exalted to heaven. In other words, that's the very thing that the devil did. He said there is a pride and an iniquity in your hearts. So when the gospel was preached and the miracles were done, you still wouldn't change. And he said, now, this is what he says. So he's talking about his people again. And then he says, when it comes to the day of judgment and I have all the city of Sodom in front of me with all the homosexuals, I'll go easier on them than on you. He said it'll be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for you. Because if the works I did in your city and the teaching I gave there, if, if they had, had received that, they would have all turned. The city would still be going. So you notice then, there's lots of insights on how God judges. God judges according to the amount of light you have. So what he's saying simply is, you've been given so much, there's more expected. And he said, so what, basically what he's saying, he put it down simply like this. The, the city of Sodom is given as a sign that God will judge sin and will deal with it suddenly when people are not looking. The sin of the city was exactly the same as the sin of the people of God. It was sin of pride, uh, of haughtiness, of lack of, uh, of self-centeredness, of lack of care for the poor. And he said, that's the same city. That's why I call you sisters. You're the same, same family. You've got the same kind of DNA. It's not a kingdom DNA. It's a kingdom DNA of the, the power of darkness. And of course, they had some homosexuality. It was rife right through the city. 
But he said, if that's all you can see, you're not seeing the real issue. It's the same thing you've got. It's pride in the heart that leads to these sins of the flesh and indulgence and all those kind of things. Because the more people, when people are very poor, all they've got to focus on is surviving. When people have got a lot, they start to do all sorts of other things. Oh, we got so quiet now. Well, just saying. So, so what were the conditions that prevailed in the, day, in the days of Lot? Now, you like this. Well, what was it actually like in the city? Well, I'll get, I'll get you a few things. You've got to find some comparisons to today. So Lot, the thing is, the background to the story is, Lot is living in the city of Sodom, and then he received two angels. Two angels came to the city, and they come to the city because God is wanting to save Lot. God wanted to bring him out. And uh, here's what. God has gone into a, a discussion with Abraham, and Abraham said, Oh, man, that's pretty tough. You're going to destroy this see listen can we just talk about this can I bargain with you God God said okay say your peace he said why have you found 50 people that were righteous would you spare the city he said okay if I found 50 I'll spare it oh man and he says now Lord can we just talk about this again he said now what if I what if we could find a fewer number would you turn the city I'll do it for the fewer number I can't remember the exact number and, and he says okay but there weren't the fewer number there. That was the problem. And so the angels come into the city, and they're coming in to rescue Lot. They're coming into the city to warn him that there's imminent destruction, and he must depart from the city. Now, look, so here, let's read the story now. And so the two angels arrived at Sodom, Genesis 19.1, and Lot is sitting on the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them. Notice he's in the gateway, the place of leadership. So he's an influential person in the city now uh, because he's very wealthy. He got up to meet them. He bowed down his face to the ground. My Lord. So he recognized that they come from God. Please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and go on your way early in the morning. And they said, no, no, we'll stay out here in the night in the square. And he insisted strongly, go with him. And entered his house, he prepared a meal for them and baked bake bread without yeast, and they ate. Now, he knew why they needed to go into the city. Don't stay out in the city. It'll be tough for you out there. The streets aren't safe. You need to come into my home. Won't be safe out there in the streets. Come into my home. And uh, so, anyway, before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, young and old, surrounded the house. And they called out to Lot, Lot. Where are the men who came with you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So even putting them in his house didn't save them. This is a really bad, this is a very dangerous city. Lawless, out of control, and the sexual perversions operating. And so Lot tried to restrain them. So he went out to the door. So Lot went out to them, verse 6, out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him. He said, now please, brethren, don't do so wickedly. Now, now, so, so now we're saying they're all bent on homosexual rape of his visitors and he stands up and push back, see brethren, he says, so he's, he's, not, he's not being judgmental in any way, he said brethren, he said, you know, don't do this, this is not right, this is wrong. He said, please stand back, don't do this, this is wicked to do such a thing because they're under my house and, and there's a, in, in our culture, uh, if someone comes under your house, they come under your protection. So he said, now they're under my protection. So please, we would, we, this would be a terrible thing to, 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 to break up. I mean, what's going to happen in our culture if we don't, when people come into your house, you don't look out for them and protect them? If I don't, I'm out here to stand on their behalf to protect them because according to our culture, this is a covenant relationship. They come into my house, they come under my name, under my protection. I'm responsible for them. And uh, of course, what did the people say? They said, stand back. They said, 
this one that's talking about uh, Lot, this one came to stay here. Now he keeps acting as a judge. And then he said, now he said, we'll deal with you worse than them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. And then the angels rescued Lot and blinded the people so they couldn't find the door. And then the angels told him, you need to get out of the city quickly. So that's, that's the story. So notice here some things in here. That there, what was going on then? Here's the condition. He said, number one, pride and arrogance. In other words, they're just self-important and they're self-centered. Two, self-indulgence, fullness of bread. We talked about that. Uh, Cold-hearted, their lack of concern for the poor. And now these are the things that come from a culture whose heart has become broken and hard. He said, brazen homosexuality. It was widespread everywhere. We just out in the open, it was brazen. No one tried to hide it. No one was ashamed of it. Uh, The next thing is aggressive sexual violence. The city was lawless, it tells us. Verse 5, it was lawless. In other words, there's no restraint. People just did what they wanted, and sexual violence was frequent. Well, man, you just take a look what's going on in our nation right now. You know, it's a very, very big problem. Uh, notice that the, the sexual perversion was intergenerational. Young and old came. So it's affecting the young generation. The old generation have failed to preserve the young, and by their lifestyle, they've now given permission to the young to then get involved in these things. And then finally, there was a widespread, here's the one I want to draw your attention to, there was widespread resistance and reaction to truth. And notice what he's done. He's saying, now listen, it's in our culture that someone comes into my home, I've got to look out for them and protect them. So please, please stay away. Don't come here. This is wicked to do this. And they said, oh, you come and live among us. You're judging us now. They accused him of being judgmental. They accused him of being intolerant. And then they said, we're going to take care of you. We're going to deal to you. So it's a terrible thing. So they were resistant to truth. They were resistant. They reacted and they accused him. When he spoke out honestly, they accused him of being judgmental and intolerant. And uh, so the Bible is very clear that uh, if we practice sin, practice sin. I'm not talking about a life where you're struggling with issues and you're working hard to try and overcome them and you have occasional drops back and you're in a journey of growing. That's, that's normal. That's just what everyone walks through and God provides grace to cover all of that. We're talking about those who practice sin. In other words, they stop resisting it. They just tolerate it in their life. And so in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, the Bible describes 10 different categories of sin that will exclude us from the kingdom. And here they are. Don't you know the unrighteous, those who are not living right or practicing sins you're not in here at the kingdom of God don't be deceived neither fornicators that's people involved in sexual sin idolaters person who's covetous as an idolater nor adulterers nor homosexuals or sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards drunkards nor abusers nor extortioners they manipulate people will inherit the kingdom of God so he doesn't single out one thing he just says this is all the kinds of things that will stop you entering into the fullness of what God has for you and includes in there excessive alcohol including gluttony church gets wound up about homosexuality what about gossip homosexuality is mostly out there but gossip's right here gluttony oh really you know, so people get onto these things. That becomes their hobby horse. And what's behind it is a pride, prideful heart, a heart that's haughty and arrogant, looks down on others, judging what's going on in their life. That's and that's the very thing that God identified was the core character, not only of the city of Sodom. And this is what led to its downfall. 
So given enough time, if you have pride, a haughty attitude, and a lack of care for the poor, and you're preoccupied with yourself, given time, any nation will corrupt and dysfunction and, and fall apart. So he's saying that all the things you saw in the city were the consequence of the, the, the rapid deterioration from the core issue, which is a hard issue, is always a hard issue. Okay then, so, uh, so he, he puts out all of the things. So, so I notice here that the thing they accused him of, if I put it a different way, they said, this man, come here. We invited him in. He come and stay in the city. Now he's judging us. And see, so notice now he hasn't judged them. He just said, this is, what well, he said, this is wicked behavior. I mean, he wasn't even talking about the sexual thing, saying to come into my home and take the people out that are in my protection. That's wicked behavior. And they said, oh, you're judgmental and intolerant. So I want to just talk a little bit about tolerance because this is an issue that's a very big problem right now. So uh, it's a growing issue today. So, so if you look up Merriam-Webster dictionary, what does tolerance mean? Tolerance means I have sympathy for the beliefs and practices that are different and conflicting with my own. Or put another way, it means I respect for a different viewpoint and lifestyle. So if you have a different idea and you live differently, I still respect you. You're able to have that. In other words, I'm not hostile to you because you've got that different belief. I actually treat you as with respect. See, that's what tolerance means. So tolerance really is, is simply this. It means the willingness to let people express a different opinion without fear of retaliation. That's what it means to be tolerant. Okay. Now... That doesn't mean you agree with them. doesn't mean you approve of them at all. You can live your own life, but you can still disagree. And uh, Jesus said the problem will be, of course, when you say the truth, people may not like it too much. <laughs> and uh, so, so now the word tolerance has been changed. Now, many, some of you would realize this. Some of you may not realize it, and yet you'll come across it. So tolerance has been redefined. So we'll call it the new tolerance. You understand if you change what a word means, then you change how people behave. So, so, when you, so tolerance, when I think tolerance, I think, well, okay, you have a different view, different life. That's fine, you know. Uh, and, and I'll talk and debate and we'll share a different view. That's okay. I'm going to treat you with respect. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to be different. Allowed to be diverse. God lets you be diverse. He lets you be diverse. But he's very clear about what's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to Father but by me. Now today he would say, well, that is judgmental, intolerant, and it's a hate speech. That's what the change has become. It's happened in our lifetime. It's changed from tolerance, man. Oh, okay, well, I don't see it that way. I see it this way, and I treat you with respect. Now it's completely different. And so I want to just show you a couple of things, what the new tolerance looks like and what comes with it just so when it happens, you'll understand what you're dealing with. The, the new tolerance, tolerance now is redefined. The dictionary hasn't changed, but this is what it means. It means the acceptance of any idea, any belief, the acceptance of any idea or any belief. And it doesn't mean just to accept it, it means to endorse and praise it. So now I'm not allowed to just accept that you'd believe differently. I actually have to welcome it and embrace it. In other words, I'm not allowed to have a different opinion. That's what's changed. That's what's changed. So it's not enough to tolerate a different belief. I must treat it as having the same value. Now, when I look at a homosexual lifestyle, it does not have the same value 
as the value God placed on a married relationship. It does not have the same. They're not equal. You look at cultures, they are not equal. A culture of idolatry and animism has outcomes and consequences that are different to a culture that's built around the principles of God's kingdom. They are different and they have different outcomes. If they're different outcomes, they're not equal value. And so what you're finding is tolerance has been uh, redefined to mean that everyone's ideas, everyone's beliefs are of equal value. This is not biblical at all. This goes completely contrary. This is what's called humanism. And so disagreement is now redefined. Disagreement means I hold a different opinion. Disagreement is now defined as intolerance. That's what, we're, that's what we're facing in our culture right now. So if you have a differing opinion, you are called intolerant. If you dare to express it, that's hate speech. Big problem. And so if you have a different opinion and you begin to declare it. So as I have a different opinion about homosexuality, if I begin to express it now, it's called hate speech. Redefine what hate speech really is. Because hate speech is speech that's designed to stir hostility towards any group of people. So they've redefined hate speech as well. To express a different opinion is not hate speech. To express a different opinion is to express a different opinion. And the new tolerance is actually intolerance. Because I can't express my opinion without you treating me as being a racist or uh, homophobic. So you notice that the new way of dealing with people now is, and it's actually incredibly evil because it won't allow for any discussion. Basically, it puts a label on you. So if I say, well, I believe this, now the label is put on. When you put a label on, then you end up abusing the person. So they put a label on you first. It's an idiot. Well, if it's an idiot, well, we should do, do what you do to idiots. You understand? So, so, so if I express a different opinion about homosexuality, immediately the label is, oh, you're homophobic. If I something, say something about Islam, and the dangers of radical Islam, oh, you're Islamophobic. If I talk about God's views on gender, oh, you're transphobic. And your ideas are hate speech. This is what's going on. If I talk about the role of a man as defined by the Bible, oh, that's sexist. You're a misogynist, you hate women. Now you understand, once people... There's no desire to enter discussion. It's I want to impose my view upon you. So therefore, the first thing I'll do is shout you down. The second thing I'll do is put a label on you. And now I'll stir people up to call you as a person who is hate speech and intolerant. That's what was going on in Lot's day. It's very, very similar to what's going on today. So the core of this is the rejection of God and absolute values right and wrong. Jesus said, I'm the truth. Today, people say, well, that's really, really, really judgmental. And it's intolerant. It is, because he said, I'm the one way into heaven. So today says, no, no, there's lots of religions lead you to heaven. No, no, sorry, there isn't. You may not like my truth, but it's actually the truth. So you have my truth, your truth, every truth is equal truth. That's what they're trying to say. That's not true. That's absolutely a deception. There is either something true or it's not true. Something's a meter long or it's not a meter long. There's actually a standard you could put up that's not a meter long. 
So if I say, this is a meter long, say, no, that's a meter long, one of us is not right. And if I say, one of us is not right, oh, you're intolerant. You're a meter rule hater. Can, can you understand? This is what's happening now. It's the, we don't, we hate meter rules. We don't want meter rules because we want to be able to have our own measures. And this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So the core of this new tolerance really is that all truth is relative. It's a total intolerance of any alternative opinion and the expression of opinion. And you either embrace these values or you're a hater. And we've got to do something about haters. So first we'll pass some laws that'll make it legal for us to do something about them. When we've got the laws changed, now we'll hunt them down. And that's the strategy that's working through the West, is to change the legal system, to change this and that. So then there's a positioning then where actually then all disagreement is shut down and disagreement now then can be dealt with. Anyway, so notice that's what happened in, in, in his day. They said, stand back, you came in to stay here, now you're acting like a judge. We're going to do worse to you than, than... They didn't take... Notice they're no longer addressing the issue. He said, what you're doing is wicked. He wasn't talking about the homosexuality. He was talking about breaking the hospitality, the covenant of hospitality. If you're under my roof, I protect you and look after you. He says, you're about to break what's, what's our commonly accepted good, good. This is good. What you're doing is wicked. And they said, who are you to judge us? We're going to do worse to you. So in other words, they, they, now having judged him, now they can attack him and uh, cause him to suffer. And no wonder then, at that point, the angels intervened. They blinded the people so they couldn't find the door and they took him out. So just follow it through and I'll finish up with this. And so, um, amazing. So, so the, th the big thing is that, that Noah was warned and because he responded to God's warning, he gave his life to preparing something that would result in his family being saved. And the wisdom from that is, as God warns us of coming end times, wise people hear that and begin to think how they can build their family and prepare for a changed global life. Okay, then same with Lot. And Lot, and, and here's the thing with Lot. Lot and his two daughters had to be dragged out of the city. Read this. He says, so, so verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. So he obviously had more, at least four daughters. And he said, get up out of this place. The Lord will destroy the city. But to his son-in-laws, hey, big joke. <laughs> Father-in-law joking. <laughs> the city's going to be destroyed. What a ridiculous. Your dad's lost it. And the son-in-laws and the daughters and their children all died in the city. Now, why did they think it's a big joke what he had to say? Because he hadn't actually stood for what was right all along. He hadn't raised his family to fear the Lord and in the ways of God. And they were now corrupted by the city. They just agreed with the values of the city. Any thought that what they were doing was wrong and that there would be consequences just didn't enter their mind. That's what lawlessness is. This is acting without any kind of sense of consequences. It's the loss of the fear of God. And it says he lingered. You imagine now his heart is being torn apart. God has warned him this is all about to end. And people he love uh, won't listen to him, and they're going to have consequences. He's torn apart inside, totally torn apart. He's torn apart. It says he lingered. 
And it says, uh, and the angels urged him to hurry, 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 hurry. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, unless you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered so long, that word lingered means to hesitate, be reluctant. He's unwilling to make change. He's unwilling to let it all go. His life's invested in this. He's got finances. He's got investment. He's got everything in here. He's getting a warning. The warning is about salvation. The warning is to be saved. And he's, there's a lot to live. In other words, his heart was tied to the city, to the culture. And so the angels in the end grabbed his hand and they pulled him out of the city. They pulled him out because because Abraham interceded for his family. That's why he got saved. And then it says, what happened there? It says, uh, it said, uh, the Lord was merciful to him. They brought him outside and set him outside the city. In verse 17, after they brought him outside, they said, escape for your life. Don't look back. Don't look back, nor stay anywhere on the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. So, so of course, you know the story. They, as, they, as they escaped, Lot's wife looked back. It's more likely she turned back to get some of the things in the city. And she was destroyed with the sea. So now, you can either look at that and say, well, that's an Old Testament story. But here's the thing. Jesus referred to it. Jesus referred to it. And he referred to it. And, and Jesus gave these three warnings. Three warnings. Three. Not one, just three. He said, number one, in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Don't let your heart be so tied up in the culture and the world that you're not sensitive to the Spirit of God and to his warnings. Secondly, uh, you need to guard your heart. Luke 21, 34, he says, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with the same things that were going on in the days of Lot and Noah. In other words, just watch out. Your heart doesn't become burdened with all the weights and cares of life because it will come like a snare on the earth. So in other words, don't have your life so tied up with what's going on around you, you haven't got an eternal perspective. The third warning he gave is the need for sensitivity in prayer. Watch and pray that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Wow. That's something to think about, isn't it? eh? Now, so here's the thing about this. What do you see when you see all of those things? I mean, I've I've done three sessions. I've done all these things. The question is, what do you see? Now, you'll either see doom and gloom, or you'll see our greatest hours ahead. If there's there's unbelief in your heart and your life is entangled, then all of this will be upheaving and upsetting, and, and, and you'll see the worst. But if you know the Word of God and know the promises of God... And he said, look up, look up. Does he look up the sky? No, no, look up, look up to God. Lift your eyes off what is natural. Get your eyes on the kingdom of God. What do you see? You can see through the eyes of unbelief and fear. You can see through the eyes of faith and hope. If you see through the eyes of faith and hope, you see our greatest hour ahead. If you see through the eyes of unbelief and fear, it's all doom and gloom and oh, it's getting bad, getting worse. See, it's how you see it, how you see it. And and there's examples of that. In in Numbers chapter 13, when the the 10 spies went into the land, and uh, 12 spies went into the land, they came back and said, what's there? And they brought back fruit and figs and and grapes. It was a, a, a tremendous harvest. And they said, what's it like? And 10 of them, wonderful, wonderful. But we saw giants. And in our own eyes, we're like grasshoppers. It's too big. It's too hard. And the other guy said, oh, see, you either see giants or bread. They said, the Lord is with us. 
Don't be afraid. These giants are bread. God, use them to grow us stronger. So two come back and said, the giants are bread for us. God is for us. The other said, the giants are big and we're little and can't do it. This is bad news. So how do the people respond? Now just put it in common terms. Facebook terms. Because yeah, you get that. <laughs> what do the people say? Well, when they heard the report of the 10 spies, full of unbelief, full of doom and gloom, they put like repost. <laughs> Until everyone got that message. Then they sat down and they began to weep and cry and bewail how bad it all was. <laughs> what about the other two spies? What did they do there? Well, they gave their report full of faith. God is with us. This is these giants of bread. We can do this. We can do this. Don't be afraid. Don't draw back. So what do people do? They went to their Facebook. Unlike. And what did they post? Fake news. Fake news. They said it's fake news. Everyone looked. Fake news. And it got in their heart. Got in their heart. They said not only did they post fake news, they probably posted giant lives matter too. <laughs> you understand there's a thinking around all of this. We, we got to be God-centered. They had gone 40 years to get, they'd gone through all this trouble in the wilderness to get to this point. It's a climactic point. Do I enter in or do we fall away? And the two stood up and said, this is what it is. We believe God is with us. God is for us. That's why that, that song, The Blessing, is so popular. They keep repeating, God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. Church, God is for you. Church, God is for you. Church, the, the, the community, whatever it is, may be intolerant. But listen, God is for you. God is for you. If God's for you, the giants must come down. You must be a person of faith. The church must arise. He tells us, watch, pray, prepare. This is the time to build your prayer life. This is the time to be grounded in the Word of God. This is the time to become strong in God. This is the time to become a soul winner. This is the time for you to break out of passivity and apathy. This is the time for you to break out of compromise. This is the time. Read. Read the signs. They're all pointing to something great ahead of us. So don't look at how bad it is. Look to the Lord. Pray that you count it worthy to escape all of these things and walk in the power of His glory in the latter days. Listen, one last scripture. In Isaiah 60, you know this one. Again, what do you see? He said, Arise, shine, your light has come. For the glory of the Lord is upon you. Now notice, when darkness covers the face of the earth and gross darkness covers the people, then... The glory of God will be seen on you. So what is your eyes focused on? Darkness and gross darkness? Or the light has come. The glory has come. God will turn this to become the greatest hour for us. Oh, church, we're called. This is our greatest hour ahead. Rise up. Choose to follow God. 
choose to hear God and build an ark of preparation. Choose to listen to God. Choose to build your prayer life. Choose to be a man or woman of God. Come on, do we stand on our feet right now? Come on, let's give him the honor. Let's give him the honor.